The better you understand and manage emotions, your own and those of people around you, the more you build a growing toolkit to help you navigate relationships, change, and disruption. Emotional intelligence is also a key lever for personal and professional success. Want to grow your emotional intelligence? In my flagship online training program, the Daniel Goleman Emotional Intelligence Courses, you can develop and deepen your skill set with the 12 crucial competencies in my emotional intelligence model. You can learn more at DanielGolemanEmotionalIntelligence.com. That's one word, DanielGolemanEmotionalIntelligence.com. And you can use coupon code PODCAST to save $50 on registration. So Sujata, what do you know about yourself? I know that I care and love and love so much. I'm a loving creature. I like my flower. I know that I do that. And I like art and and I like studying wild. I don't know which one I'll study, but animals? That's it for that question. Any (laughs) others? What else can you tell me about your, your feelings? Oh, my. I feel sad when my brother hits me or punches me or pokes me in the eye. I know that it's okay to feel each emotion. I can feel happy when I just got a chocolate treat. I can feel happy when my brother gives me a falugan. <laughs> What's a falugan? It's another way to say treat. I am happy when my brother gives me a falugan. Did he just make that word up? Yes, I am happy when my brother gives me a falugan. I like falugans too. Welcome to First Person Plural. Emotional Intelligence and Beyond. I'm Hanuman Goleman, and I'm back with our EI correspondent, Elizabeth Solomon. Hey, Liz. Hi, Hanuman. I'm really excited to be here with you today talking about self-awareness because this is such a critical component of emotional intelligence. You know, anyone who has read Dan's work in emotional intelligence or studied it or, you know, used it as a coaching framework, we know that in order to you know, build ourselves in any of the other EI competencies in order to get good at any of the other 11 competencies, we first have to have self-awareness. So this is really, um, yeah, it's the base of everything. It really is. And sometimes even counterintuitively, like with empathy, when on its face, we think that it's really about understanding how others feel and what they're going through. And that's true, but without self-awareness, we don't understand what those experiences are. We need to first recognize them in ourselves before we can recognize them in anyone else. In a similar way, how others perceive us can be a key insight into ourselves. Uh, I just reread the Emotional Self-Awareness Primer that we published with Dan and his colleagues. And in it, Dan makes a point that I love. He says, The conundrum inherent in self-awareness is that when we are not self-aware, we do not know it. Mm. So how can we see our blind spots? With the help of others. 
this is one of those counterintuitive places where self-awareness can come from others, from other people's reflections, obviously people you trust. And self-awareness is also foundational for developing any competency. It lets us gauge our development so we can tell when we're getting better or worse at a competency. And without self-awareness, we can't be honest with ourselves or with others about ourselves. So yeah, emotional self-awareness is a foundational emotional intelligence competency. Yeah, and I I don't know about you, but I always think, you know, developing self-awareness there's kind of three levels that we can check in on. It's the mental, the physical, and the emotional, right? And so sometimes I use that as as a framework, like a simple way to approach self-awareness of just even understanding where we are in time and space is just checking in with the body and saying, how is the body feeling? What are the sensations I'm feeling? What are the emotions that are associated with those? And what are the thoughts that are fueling some of those emotions? Um, and we can learn a lot, I think, by checking in on those three levels. I love that. I've not quite thought about it like that. But each of those is a fantastic doorway into ourselves. And when we're talking about this level of self-awareness, we're talking about what's happening right now. Mm. And there's never a wrong answer if you're being honest with yourself. So right now, if emotions are predominant or really accessible, then that's a perfect doorway. Or maybe it's too much and you need to find another way to be in the present moment. And so physical sensations like the breath are a little safer in that moment uh, when emotions can be overwhelming. But to have those three different doorways that you just talked about into the present moment is a really wonderful framework. And the more we pay attention the more we understand that those are all doorways to the same moment, to this present moment experience. That's really well put. And I think you're speaking to something really important, which is finding the doorway where we can like stand in the place of the most objectivity in a moment, right? Where we can just really be in that observer role and kind of look at things from the outside in and observe ourselves on that meta level because that's really, it's really, it's hard to do. You know, the minute we observe something, we often attach to it. We have a story about it. We have a series of emotions. What is it to be mindful? What is it to be present with what's actually happening versus how we attach to it? And as many people know, mindfulness is a huge component of Dan's work, right? And it's, it's kind of no wonder it, it dovetails so well with emotional intelligence, particularly this piece around, um, Awareness, awareness of self, of our thoughts and our feelings and our bodies. Yeah. I think we should be really clear here because to me, it sounds like we're talking about two different aspects of self-awareness and they're both really important in different ways. Paying attention to our present moment experience tells us how we're feeling and reacting in the moment. It's important information and cool stuff like noticing our emotions in a moment tells us what we care about right? Emotions flare when we care about something. If we don't care, eh, no big feelings. Awareness of our present moment experience is also the crucial factor in being able to catch a habit midstream and be able to consciously choose another course of action. That's when we stop ourselves from acting in ways we don't want to. It's really important. There's also a level that's a little wider of a view. It's a more psychological story-based view. It includes things like self-reflection, 
and understanding how our actions impact others and ourselves. Both of these aspects are a part of this EI competency, emotional self-awareness. Another piece I'm thinking about here is just this idea of like sovereignty and choice, right? It's like self-awareness gives us the ability to say, okay, this is, you know, taking triggers as an example. This is something that triggers me. This is how I respond, right? And like, we get to make choices from that place of like, okay, once I know that and understand that, and once I can see the pattern, I can make a choice to interrupt it, or I can make a choice to not interrupt it. But either way, I'm acting from a place of sovereignty and a place of decision. Yes. This is where agency happens. This is where in any moment we take the reins of our life. We have that choice that you're talking about. So Hanuman, this is a great segue into today's interview because here Dan is interviewing Matt Taylor. And Matt is an executive coach who's worked a lot in school systems um, with school leaders. Uh, And this is also a great follow-up to our last episode on social-emotional learning, where we talked a lot about the implementation of emotional intelligence in schools, not just what that looks like for kids, but also what the school system, what the school leaders, the school administrators have to do to really successfully integrate emotional intelligence or social-emotional learning into schools. So today in this episode, when we hear Dan talk with Matt Taylor, Matt gives an example of exactly what we're talking about right here, which is getting honest, like a moment of self-awareness in his coachee, where he becomes aware of his impact on others, of how his behaviors are setting the emotional tone of his team, and of how things that he doesn't even like in his team are actually responses or reactions to his own behavior. And so he faces that choice point of what do I wanna do about this now that I can see the pattern, now that I've had a coach help me see this pattern. Here's Dan and Matt. Hello, this is Daniel Goleman. I'm best known for my work on emotional intelligence and leadership. And in this series, I'm looking at each of the 12 competencies in my emotional intelligence leadership competence model. Today's conversation will focus on the foundation competency, emotional self-awareness. I'm speaking with executive coach Matt Taylor to see how this applies to his work in leadership development. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dan. Thank you for letting me be here. Let's start by my reviewing the kind of official understanding of self-awareness and see where this particular coached person fits in. Emotional self-awareness has several senses. One is you know your own emotions and their impact on your performance. You know what you're feeling and why you feel it, how it helps or hurts what you're trying to do. Then there's a second sense of emotional intelligence, and that's sensing how others see you and knowing how you come off and having your own self-image reflect that. This is the kind of self-awareness that's picked up, for example, in whether or not there's a gap between how you rate yourself on a 360, like the ESCI 360, and how other people rate you. The bigger the gap, the lower the self-awareness. A third is that you have an accurate sense of your strengths and limits. This gives you a realistic self-confidence across the 12 emotional intelligence competencies. You know where your strengths are and you know where you have room to grow. Another meaning of self-awareness is 
having clarity on your values, your sense of purpose, this lets you be more decisive when you set a course of action. I think that your case is going to fit number one, knowing your emotions and their impact on your performance. Leaders who are self-aware this way recognize when their emotions have a negative impact on their work or when the people around them have a negative impact because of the way they're leading. And that was pretty much the case with Luke, the principal you worked with. Could you tell us what you found with Luke? Sure, absolutely. So I started working with Luke this fall. We meet a couple times a month. Uh, I think we've developed very good rapport. And so he's showing up in this work vulnerable and ready to learn. And so he's willing to go deep with me in terms of thinking about his emotions and, and his values. And Luke got some bad news. He got uh, organizational health feedback back from his staff. And they reported that their morale and, and their feelings of positivity about working at the school were very low. And he was surprised. And so we started focusing our work on that. Fortunately, I'd been in his school watching them lead a bit. And so I started asking him questions about, well, you know, why do you think this is going on? What do you want to do about it? He said, well, I think... The problem is that we're going into classrooms and giving teachers a lot of uh, instructional and constructive feedback, but we're not giving them positive feedback. And so my leadership team and I are going to start leaving positive feedback notes in every classroom at the end of our observations. And I said, well, what about your leadership team? What are you going to do for them? That hadn't occurred to him. So that was a new idea for him to start thinking. And in fact, you had been observing him in action and you had seen a big discrepancy between how he was with one group and how he was with the the leadership team. Can you talk about that discrepancy? Sure. So he invited me to attend some of his leadership team meetings, which are largely focused on uh, professional development. The first time I joined the team, I came in the room and sat down in the chair And Luke didn't even introduce me to the team. He jumped right into the meeting. And so immediately I was aware of an emotion I was feeling in the room and kind of trying to gauge how other people were reacting too. And Luke, it became pretty clear to me, is very skilled at the technical training of his people in terms of building instructional leadership skills. But his approach that I noticed was also very technical. He was asking a lot of kind of pointed and leading questions and his waiting to see whether his people would be able to give him the right answer or not. So what I noticed was people were kind of on the edge of their seats. When you say edge of their seats, not in a good way. Not in a good way. They, you know, they seemed to me to be very anxious about whether they were going to get the right answer. And so there was kind of this energy in the room that I felt that was the teacher trying to get the right answer from the students and the students kind of sweating about whether they were going to be the one that was going to be wrong. And so there was a lot of this questioning that then led to Luke basically saying, all right, here's what you need to do. I'm going to model it for you. You're going to practice it and go, and you're going to go do it. And so as we were debriefing these uh, organizational health results, I said, you know, I said, can I share with you, Luke, an observation that I made? about your meetings and about how they're going. And so I shared with him, uh, you know, the, the impression that I, that I just shared with you. And it was kind of a surprise to him. He hadn't thought about the, how it felt in the room. 
he thought about trying to drive towards growth, but he hadn't thought about how it felt. And I, you know, I pointed out to him that he hadn't introduced me. I pointed out to him that he hadn't said hello to anyone or asked them how they were doing or how their days were going. So he thought, this is really interesting. Can you come and observe a one-on-one coaching meeting with one of my people? And so the next time we came in, I observed a meeting with Luke and one of his the leadership team members. Again, I went in and, and, you know, he didn't introduce me, jumped right in, didn't ask this person how they were doing that day. And I observed the same question and answer dynamic. And as we were walking out of the room, I decided to make some small talk with the leader, you know, ask him how he's doing. It turned out it was his birthday. And so I said, well, wow, happy birthday. That, that's, uh, you know, how are you celebrating all of these things? And so when I sat down with the leader, he said, so what did you think? What did you see? And I said, well, look, first, let me ask you, to your point, Dan, about core values. I said, what do you believe are the core conditions for your people being able to learn and grow? And through some questioning, he told me, I, I deeply believe that people need to feel supported. They need to feel trusted. They need to feel cared for and invested in, and they need the space to try and fail if they're going to learn. This was very surprising to me based on what I'd seen. And so I, you know, I again shared what I had seen and I said, did you realize it was your uh, Dean's birthday today? I said, oh yeah, you know, I knew that. I said, have you, have you mentioned that to him today? No, I, we hadn't talked about it. I said, what do you think the impact was of that? Uh, the fact that you hadn't, the fact that I came in the room and sat down and you jumped into this, this is your first conversation of the day on this person. And he had to sit back and, and, uh, chew on that one for a minute. And I think that was when I really saw a light bulb starting to go off. So in other words, he had a blind spot and the blind spot was how he treated his, uh, his closest direct reports. He, he knew how to tell them to uh, be encouraging and positive with their direct reports with the teachers, but he didn't do it himself with his own. And he didn't realize that he had a totally goal-oriented stance with them. Here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to do it. I'm going to show you how. This is known as the pace setter style uh, in our work, and it generally lowers morale, which is what he found out from the feedback when there was that organizational health report. So here's a leader who does something all too many leaders do these days, which is to push people to get results, show them how they're going to do it, be the model, be aggressive, and not wait to have a relationship, not bother to know it's your birthday, not bother to acknowledge it, to celebrate. So he was very one-sided, and unfortunately, it was the wrong side. And given that you helped him see through this blind spot, how did you then help him improve? Well, as the conversation continued, I brought him back to what he told me about his values or what he deeply believed about learning and had him kind of hold up his behaviors or his, you know, coaching, as he called it, practice against those values. And that was when Luke really started to to be able to name, I'm saying that I value trust and feeling supported and investment in, but my behavior is actually modeling the opposite, that I don't trust, that I don't trust your ideas, and it's modeling that I'm actually not invested in you. The other route I went with my questioning and had him try to unpack for himself is what did he really believe about his people? And he was able to to name for himself 
with this particular dean, you know, I don't feel like this dean has the instincts to be a leader. I'm not confident that they'll be able to learn what it takes. And so, you know, my questioning pushed him to think about what the impact of his coaching had on that person that might give him some conflicting data or that might actually be a self-fulfilling prophecy here. And what Luke realized was what I'm seeing may actually be a direct outcome of my lack of trust. Exactly. That's exactly right. right. Yes. And so the light bulb went off. The light bulb went off. And what he realized, if I understand, is that he was giving a very uh, demoralizing message. I don't believe in you. You don't have what it takes. You're going to fail. Right. And actually, it was his behavior that was actually causing the other person to underperform. What is it that's causing you to think this way about this person? He said, well, he's getting the wrong answers. He's a, he, he seems really nervous, and he doesn't seem to have much confidence. And again, help Luke kind of realize for himself that my behavior is causing that anxiety and that lack of confidence. And so this was really helpful for, for investing Luke in pursuing a different kind of coaching and one that was more consistent with the values that he believed and what he believed about learning. Our first step then was for Luke to go and have a conversation with this person. I uh, see, so, you know, I need to kind of figure out whether this theory we're coming up with here is true and get some feedback from this person. And so the next time I came in, Luke was really excited. I said, well, how did it go? He said, I have to tell you, Matt, I didn't know about, I was about to lose this person. They've been looking for another job. When I shared my reflections and asked him for his feedback, he said, this is, your leadership has felt like a waste of my time and a kind of a backward step in my professional development. And this really put Luke back on his heels. And so he was humble enough and a learner enough himself to ask more questions and to think collaboratively with this person about what their coaching could look like that would feel productive and create the right conditions for this person to learn. And so he came to this meeting with a list. That meeting we spent thinking about what is it that Luke that you need to do both in your actions but also kind of managing your, what we call his triggers that led him to not trust and led him not to be confident in this person. How are you going to manage these, your behaviors and your triggers so that you create these conditions that you really want to create? This is a, a really wonderful case example, Matt, because, you know, all change begins with self-awareness. You couldn't have gotten him where you did without that big aha. Oh, my blind spot. I've got to do something. I also realize you're coaching a coach <laughs> and right. many coaches are without realizing it because one of the main functions of a real leader is to help people grow, to help them develop, to coach them. So here it's, it's very explicit. Often it's implicit, but it's always part of a leader's role. And also I'm struck by the fact that this Dean told him, this direct report told him, I'm looking for another job. This is a waste of my time. There's data that's coming out of uh, Corn Ferry Hay Group on people with high and low self-awareness, and they find one of the dimensions at which it matters the most is retaining people, 
people do not want to work for bosses that are low in self-awareness. The reason being that they don't know, they don't realize how they're impacting people. They don't read how their own behavior makes the other person feel, how it motivates or demotivates. And also, very interestingly, if you're low in self-awareness, you're likely to be uh, poor in all the other emotional intelligence competencies. This goes from you know, self-regulation, controlling your own emotions, your negative emotions, disrupting ones, or, or being too hard and driving for achievement without balancing that. That's a, another common way in which people are, are weak in emotional intelligence. Or empathy or relationship building, as you point out, he didn't even acknowledge this person's birthday, which is, of course, uh, something you, that people love to have. They feel gratified. They feel known when you do that. And, and it creates loyalty. He didn't do any of those things. So you're able to help him see by showing him the blind spot. And actually, I, I like the fact that you let him come back to you with how he could improve. You didn't mimic him. You, you actually modeled being a good coach. You said, well, here's the problem. Now, what can you do about it? Because that implicitly tells the person, I believe in you. You can change. You have what it takes. And apparently it did. And how have things turned out with him? It's really amazing to see. Several weeks later, this leader that the principal is coaching, he's recommended him to be in our principal in residence program. So he's now moving towards becoming a principal. He's got a lot of faith in this leader. And I think just as actually more importantly, he is trying to change the way he coaches all of his leadership team so that it feels more collaborative. It feels like he's honoring and valuing his team's instincts and decisions. It turns out it's changing the way that these leaders are, are coaching their teachers. Matt, that reminds me of some data that I've seen from another organization, actually from the U.S. Navy, where they found that if the commander of a ship was aloof, goal-driven, hard to relate to, distant, versus one that was mostly intelligent, who was more interested in the group morale, motivation, relating to people, and so on. The people who were more like uh, Captain Quig, very distant, and you can't talk to them, and so on, had very poor performance. And those who had all the emotional intelligence competencies, their ships were high-performing on the same objective measures. But what's more interesting is there was a ripple effect. Whatever style you saw at the top was repeated downward. So on the ships with the very goal-oriented, impersonal, cold leader, at every level down you found that, and performance went down. And on the other hand, as you're seeing here in, in your schools, in the organizations where the leader was very warm, very interested in encouraging people, and so on, you saw that same positive style repeated on down through the ranks. And I would expect that to happen in these schools. Absolutely. It, what we saw was not only did it go ripple down from the you know, instructional leaders to the teachers, but it's changing the way the teachers are working with kids dramatically. I'm not surprised. I remember data from a study that was commissioned by the United Kingdom Ministry of Education, where they looked at the head teachers, that's the head leader in a school, and looked at their style. And if the style was like this 
person originally was, they found that the students did very poorly on achievement tests. And controlling for demographics, if the leader was in a very positive, emotionally intelligent style, uh, the kids did very well on the same achievement tests. And right. what's th- what's different there is the whole atmosphere created from top down right into the classroom. And you could say in any organization, right into the office, right into the factory, right into this retail store, or whatever it may be, the leader really does set the tone, don't they, Matt? Absolutely. I mean, I think you mimic what you feel. And you, and also a leader is modeling what success looks like here. And Absolutely. You were saying how things went, and, and do you have any metrics on this? Is there any way of actually getting uh, feedback in an objective way on how this matters? Sure. We are fortunately have two more rounds of our organizational health survey. Uh, so we're looking at the indicators of how people are feeling about their work environment, their perception of staff morale, and their feelings about communication with leadership to be indicators of whether the school is growing or not. We've had one more round. It's still, I think, pretty early in this principal's evolution in this, but he's already seen double-digit gains in many of the indicators on our organizational health survey, including in positivity. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for that story and that case example. And congratulations and thanks to you for the good work you're doing. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Something that I love about this story is that it offers a perspective on how much we create our world. We see a world that is responding to us and that we are responding to. We're really looking in a mirror our whole, like all the time. Adam, on this piece about the mirror, I just experienced this this morning. You know, I got into Mm -hmm. like a quintessential power struggle with my seven and a half year old where we had 30 minutes to get out of the house. And I said, get in the shower. And she said, I don't want to. Right. And there we were locked. She was sitting on the beanbag chair and I was standing in the doorway. And I knew in that moment, especially after listening to this interview, I was like, wow, my stance right now, my stubbornness, my insistence, I'm just generating the same in her, right? Like we are in your classic, typical power struggle. And actually I'm the leader in this situation. I'm the parent and I'm the one who's going to have to break the pattern. And even with that awareness, it was so hard. It was like the instinct to, to push, you know, even though I knew I was going to be met with push and to, to break that habit. Um, and I thought to myself, yeah, there, there she is mirroring back to me exactly, exactly the type of uh, energy or stance that I'm coming at her with. Showing her how it's done. <laughs> And then I'm like, I'm showing her how it's done. And then I'm like, don't do it that way. You know, <laughs> like what, what kind of message it's is like, that? It's like being like, don't yell at people. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> when I'm locked with my kids, I notice that a part of that is my own kid, my, uh, my own ego. That's just like, if I give up here, then I will be vanquished or I will be, I won't exist or something. There's like some, some deep part of me that is just holding on to winning for absolutely just, I mean, I, I, I justify it 
it's by like teaching a lesson or some weird effed up like thing like this twisted justification what is the risk of walking away and letting go of the power struggle or what is the risk of giving up that stance of um control in the moment it's absurd i mean when the the risk is zero it's not it's not a this isn't a, a conscious uh you know thoughtful mm-hmm. response <laughs> this is like this is my kid responding to this kid and uh so there's an aspect of it like when two people are pushing against each other they're both full on in ego and when one person can just like relax that and allow i and there's something about it it's like the safety to allow this to be happening the safety to just i i don't need to win this this that doesn't mean i'm this or that i can just let that be yeah, I think it's also an awareness around where you're motivated from, right? So like, what's the bigger goal in that situation? I was thinking about that this morning. I think, you know, parenting such a great example because I'm like, my goal is to get her in the shower so we can get out of the house on time. But all of a sudden, very quickly, there's another little hidden goal under there, which is this hidden goal to be right or this hidden goal to assert, again, assert myself as the powerful person in the room. Um And it does take a moment of awareness to change that. And I remember thinking this morning when I was locked in that way of, okay, like I have the intellectual understanding that the best thing I could do right now is to lean into some sense of empathy in order to better influence her, in order to better meet the larger goal, right? Um, But that's, I think, even where that body piece comes in. In order for me to actually do that beyond just understanding that intellectually, I had to understand that my body was tense, that part of what I was experiencing was held in my physical experience and that there was like just some three deep breaths and de-escalating of my nervous system I had to do before I could even lead with the empathy and the influence. So one of the things that stands out in this interview is that um, Luke, Matt's coachee, was seeing his team underperform. And, you know, the narrative in his head was they're not doing enough. Maybe I don't have the right people on the team, right? And instead, what he realized was that it was his own approach. It was actually part of the narrative he was holding around them of that they couldn't achieve, they weren't going to grow, they weren't going to change, that was inhibiting their performance. And so once he became aware of how his own approach to his team was creating that result and shifted something in his approach... His experience of the team completely changed, their performance completely changed. And I think it's often this way that actually there's like self-awareness allows us to see what is that kind of small dial that if we just turned it a little bit to the right has a ripple effect and can actually change everything about our reality or what we perceive as our reality. Um, And I also think, you know, what comes up in this interview that's really interesting, and they talk a little bit about, and Dan mentions it, um, the SG360, which is the Emotional Social Competency Inventory. And 360 assessments are amazing for helping us achieve greater self-awareness. You know, we get to rate ourselves across these 12 competencies. And then we ask people all around us to rate us too. And we get to see... In on the page through these wonderful bar graphs, is there a gap between how I see myself and other people see me? 
And in which areas do those gaps exist, right? And I think it's interesting to see where people might overrate themselves in comparison to the people around them and then where people underrate themselves um, in comparison to people around them, which happens quite a lot. One of the pieces that Luke's story also highlights is that as a leader, an important piece of self-awareness is listening to others. And, and that's what you're talking about with the ESCI as well, because no matter how self-aware one is, it's just vital to have that input because we are leading the entire organization, not just ourselves. It's as if our leadership body expands and the self-awareness then comes from others in that organization as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about feedback too, because there's another role that self-awareness plays there. And um, what comes to mind actually is thinking about, you know, my relationship, right? My my intimate relationship, which is that being self-aware uh, enough to know the moments when we're actually not open to feedback and we're not ready to hear feedback and being able to communicate that kindly and effectively, and then being able to also know when we are open to feedback so we can actively carve out space to receive it, right? Um, I think sometimes there's this idea that, you know, feedback is really positive and it can just sort of be given willy-nilly uh, in any time space, you know, at the coffee machine or whatever. And I think the, the what we know about giving good feedback is asking people like, are you in a place to, are you in a place to hear some feedback right now? And knowing for ourselves, yeah, actually, I, I am or no, I'm, I'm not. I've done exercises with various teams that I've been leading. Uh, and one important piece of, of the team building for me is finding out how each person likes to receive feedback. Mm -hmm. Some people don't mind in the middle of a meeting being called out. And some people that will ruin their entire week if they're called out in the meeting. So just understanding like, and, and it turns out that people are really happy to let you know. And, and it's a great way for the team to, to understand a little bit more of the human side of working together. Yeah, it's great. I always say I tend to like a compliment sandwich. I'm like, I can take really hard feedback, but I just need it in a compliment sandwich. Like I just need to hear a little bit about my strengths going in and then following up on the feedback. And it actually just better positions me to act on the feedback and, and respond. I like my feedback masked as praise. <laughs> <laughs> It's good to know about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I actually yeah. wish I got more feedback. It's I, I feel like uh, feedback is one of the, like the lack of feedback is one of the things that has kept me from developing as a leader uh, as, as quickly as I would have otherwise. If you're interested in learning more about self-awareness and the other emotional intelligence competencies, go to our website, keystepmedia.com. We have a set of 12 primers called the building blocks of emotional intelligence. Each of them is on a different EI leadership competency. That's at keystepmedia.com shop.
Thanks for listening to First Person Plural, EI and Beyond. Subscribe now and sign up for our newsletter to get notified as new episodes are released. This show is brought to you by co-hosts Daniel Goleman and Hanuman Goleman and is sponsored by Keystep Media, your source for personal and professional materials focused on mindfulness, leadership, and emotional intelligence. Special thanks to Sujata, whose voice you heard at the top of the show, and to today's guest, Matt Taylor. For guest bios, transcripts, and resources mentioned in today's episode, check out our episode notes on our website, firstpersonplural.com. This episode was written and produced by Elizabeth Solomon and me, Gabriela Acosta. Episode art and production support by Bryant Johnson. Music in this episode includes Phase 2 by Zylo Zico and theme music by Amber Ojeda. Until next time, be well. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate our show and submit a review. It helps us spread the word about the show. If you want to go the extra mile to support our show, you can become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can get exclusive access to extended interviews and behind-the-scenes content. Sign up at patreon.com slash firstpersonplural.